At Goodfellow, we are proud to support Outside In, a charity that aims to provide a platform for artists who face significant barriers to the art world due to health, disability, social circumstances or isolation. To find out more information or to donate, head to our website materialshub.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to the Materials Inside podcast by Goodfellow, the podcast that will bring materials, knowledge and science, along with art and design, together in the same podcast. Goodfellow is a UK company based in Huntingdon that supplies over 70,000 materials to different industries all over the world. Their team of scientists and sales and marketing experts want to make the materials world accessible to everyone. During the next few weeks, we will be talking about materials from aluminium to zinc for applications from satellites to planes, cars, ventilators, pieces of art and furniture. How do we link it all? Wait and see, or even better, listen to our podcasts. Presented by Joel Alexio, the Global Marketing Manager of Goodfellow, he will be speaking with a range of guests from industry professionals to public figures, artists, celebrities and Goodfellow's own experts. The material for today is Inconel. Inconel are a family of metal alloys known for being oxidation and corrosion resistant. Developed in the 1940s in England, Inconel was later acquired by Special Metals Corporation to help in the development of the Whittle jet engine. Inconel's unique combination of properties is what makes it the preferred choice for jet engines. In fact, Inconel together with aluminium alloys have progressed the airspace industry so significantly. Inconel is also the perfect choice for saltwater applications thanks to its extraordinary resistance to sodium chloride. While Inconel alloy composition may vary depending on the grade, the main elements used are nickel and chromium. One of the most consistent use for Inconel is Formula One. Over the course of a racing season, the majority of each car engine is redesigned using new and innovative materials but the exhausts on Formula 1 engines remain consistently made from Inconel. Inconel is one of the newest materials to join the world of 3D printing. With his extensive knowledge of 3D printing, Rob Lent from Vision Miner joins us later to explain why 3D printing is an ever-growing industry and how he is able to provide a business in a box to industry newcomers. I also be joined by Kay Hanna, owner of 3D printing company Geeky Meeples, a prime example of a business in a box. Kay will explain how and why she came to own this small but incredible business. But before that, our resident experts Aphrodite and Adam join us to explain the science behind Inconel and why Inconel may be the next big thing in 3D printing world. Hello, Aphrodite and Adam. Hi, Joel. Hi, Joe. Thank you for joining me again. Uh, today, we are talking about Inconel, a different material, uh, an alloy, this one, um, used again um, across many industries. Aphrodite, can you tell us a little bit more about what Inconel is and why it's so significant? Yes, of course. Uh, Inconel is a family of uh, high-performance nickel-based alloys, so it is an alloy. 
that it is used uh, in different applications and we will go through these applications later on. So I would say that it, each inconel alloy has chromium as the main alloying element. Um, it has also nickel and a variety of other elements such as iron, molybdenum, cobalt, etc. These additions are affecting the properties and the performance of the final alloys and hence we have um, different grades of inconel such as 600, 617, 625 and more that we can discuss maybe later. Uh, these alloys also are widely used for their high strength and outstanding performance against corrosion uh, in large temperatures. So you can use it even for cryogenic applications or for applications that they need elevated temperatures and high temperatures. Specifically, the temperature that can withstand uh, Inconel is usually up to 1000 degrees Celsius and their tensile strength is almost stable even at those temperatures so it's very very important when inconel is heated then a very thick oxide layer is uh, forming up on the surface and this is a protective layer and i'm saying thick very thick it's not as thick as we think it is but it is thicker than let's say aluminium because also aluminium has an oxide, an oxide layer which is uh, helping it for, from corrosion and assisting to corrosion and it is of course aluminium is resistant to corrosion so that's why I said it, it is very important and it is thicker than other materials as well. Thank you for that Aphrodite. Could you compare Inconel to stainless steel for instance? You can compare there certainly. Uh, both of them are alloys, right? So stainless steels are a group of iron-based alloys and mainly they contain chromium and nickel as well as Inconel does. But also they are very resistant to corrosion and they are heat resistant too, as Inconel is. However, Inconel is a nickel-based alloy, so that's the main, I would say, difference between them. And of course, being either iron-based or nickel-based, then there are different properties and different, not only mechanical, but also uh, thermal properties and physical properties, and uh, etc. However, in general, Inconel is much more expensive and that Adam will help us compared to stainless steels. Uh, and um, um, I will take an example. For example, if you want to compare the one very common stainless steel, the 304 with a common Inconel, which is the 625, then the Inconel has higher tensile strength than the stainless steel, the 304, and also it can operate at higher temperatures uh, better than the stainless steel. This is because Inconel is stronger and uh, it can withstand, as we said before, up to 1000 degrees while the stainless steels won't be so high. Also, there are specific chemicals that stainless steels might be better as well and they can resist better than uh, inconel such as sulfuric acid so it depends exactly on the application and what you have to take in consideration so you have to consider your budget your walking temperature the required strength uh, that you want so for example if you want a lower cost material all right but relatively strong then the one to go to or the most suitable one is stainless steel but if a component needs to outperform against corrosion or um, high temperatures up to 800 degrees celsius then you go for an inconel even though it's more expensive but adam can help us about the cost as well adam do you want, do you want to say something about the, the cost of those two materials sure i think if you're comparing uh, stainless steel and inconel 
um, you're going to be choosing the Inconel if you've got a particular environment that, that requires it or a particular uh, property of the Inconel that, that you need to you need for your application so uh, stainless steels uh, obviously there's a wide range of grades of stainless steels as well some more readily available some more cost effective than others but in general that the steels are going to be uh, more cost effective uh, options unless your application demands the use of of an Inconel in which case in which case you would use it even if it was maybe slightly more uh, costly um, but obviously the cost benefit for it for it being suitable for your application is is worthwhile. What about mono? What are the difference between Inconel and mono? And that's a very interesting one. Both mono and Inconel are nickel-based alloys. However, mono alloys contain mainly copper. Inconel alloys contain mainly chromium. So we have to take in consideration and we have to keep in mind that copper is a soft material and millable, all right? But chromium is not the same as copper. It's not so soft as copper for sure. Monel is a medium performance alloy in comparison to Inconel, uh, which Inconel is a high performance type and we also can call it as a super alloy uh, because it has outstanding resistance to corrosion at elevated temperatures and also the strength at elevated temperatures, the tensile strength, it remains almost intact. Both alloys have excellent corrosion resistant properties, but uh, as we said that Monel has copper, it has better resistance and more outstanding properties to seawater or salt and it's a more cost-effective solution as well. Copper is a bit cheaper than all the other elements that are used for to, to compose Inconel. On the other hand though, due to the high nickel content, Inconel alloys are able to withstand corrosion at high temperatures, so it depends where you need to use it. While Monel, uh, the maximum temperature use, if if I remember well, is around 500 degrees Celsius, and for Inconel is up to 1,000, as we said. Also, due to copper content in Monel, there are different physical characteristics compared to Inconel. So, Monel has higher density and it's heavier than Inconel because of copper. Also, has lower hardness, which is very important because of copper. And as we said, copper is softer and more malleable. Uh, the yield strength, of course, of Monel is lower than Inconel at the, at the same time. And as we said, it can withstand lower temperatures than Inconel. So. That's the main differences between monel alloys and inconel alloys. Thank you so much for that, Aphrodite. So you, you mentioned Nico here a few, few times. So that means that this, for, for our listeners that are, uh, um, they are planning to, to use inconel as, as a material, um, there's some risks of using this material? Uh, always there is a risk, right? So it depends how you're using it. If it's in a bulk form, let's say, and you are just uh, machining it, then you don't, I would say that you shouldn't inhale any dust because yes, nickel is toxic, all right? But at the same time, all, almost all the metals, when you are inhaling the dust, we should be very, very careful and we should use the, all the PPE uh, equipments as well would say that we should be very careful when we are machining Inconel and it's a nickel alloy, yeah, or Monel or any other alloys that they're having in nickel. Always safety first, isn't it? Um, so you mentioned about machining uh, Inconel. I know that is very difficult to machine. Does that mean uh, the forms that we offer as, um, uh, uh, as materials as available for, for customers at Goodfellow are limited? 
as you have already mentioned, yes, Inconel is very difficult to machine because uh, the material is toughening when you're working with it and it is hardening, actually. Uh, but, however, we have no limitations on what we are offering in Goodfellow because we have a great expertise in-house and, as we said in previous podcasts, and our engineers and scientists will uh, is assisting with that. Uh, so we can offer, for example, plates, foils, rods, wire, even crucibles when the Inconel alloy is allowing to uh, form something like that. Uh, powders for 3D printing, there, I don't think there is... a great limitation maybe due to hardening while working in thickness um, for foils maybe but i would certainly wouldn't say that we are limited in products thank you aphrodite so what are the key differences and benefits between the range of inconel alloys as we said in the beginning, there are different uh, Inconel alloys, and it all depends on the content of the alloy. So, for example, Inconel 600 um, is composed of nickel, chromium, cobalt, and molybdenum. All right. So, the cobalt content uh, gives the superior strength and can be easily formed, and it can also harden and strengthen throughout cold working when you are machining it in-house, but co uh, cold working machining. On the other hand, if you're adding aluminum, for example, for the Inconel 601, then you have again high strength, but you have better workability because of aluminum, all right? And you have excellent metallurgical stability and high resistance to carburization or, and especially this alloy is very useful for crucibles, all right? Because you have this great machinability. In addition, when you're adding iron, uh, for, Inconel, uh, for the Inconel 625, which is non-magnetic, we should say that, then you are helping on corrosion and oxidation, so it's more resistant um, due to the high level of chromium and molybdenum at the same time. The, uh, it enhances the corrosion the resistance even at the most aggressive environment. So, and it is used for this region from cryogenic uh, temperatures up to 1000 degrees Celsius. Um, moreover, when you are adding, for example, molybdenum, then you are designing an alloy with exceptionally high yield tensile and creep rupture properties for temperatures up to 700 degrees Celsius though. And then you have another super alloy, which you are adding aluminium, niobium, titanium and several other elements, which then you have a corrosion and oxidation resistant alloy with high strength. So it depends on the content, that's why. And that is very, very exciting as well in all the alloys that you can prepare worldwide. Thank you, Aphrodite. So you mentioned super alloys, and I know that the, the Inconel 718 is one of the super alloys. What is a super alloy? A uh, super alloy in general is an alloy that uh, has the ability to operate at high temperatures. So there are several key characteristics of a super alloy. So you have to have excellent mechanical strength. It needs to be resistant to thermal creep deformation. It needs to have a good uh, surface stability and it needs to be resistant to corrosion or oxidation. And that's a super alloy. Uh, basically, the super alloys are com composed of nickel or uh, iron and nickel or cobalt alloys. And these alloys have a certain concentration of chromium, 
or aluminium uh, which gives this protective layer as we said in the beginning of the oxide protective layer of let's say chromium you use chromium or alumina if you use aluminium for example and this oxide layer is very very important because it helps and it makes uh, the alloy resistant oxidation or corrosion so inconel can be used in automotive industry i know that's goodfellow supplies several car manufacturers um, uh, of this uh, product what are the benefits um, that Inconel brings to this industry um, so so Inconel brings brings the the kind of benefits of its properties so you can imagine that some of the the properties that we've talked about already that the Inconel exhibits are going to be useful in in automotive applications so where you've got high temperatures uh, in exhaust systems or uh, turbine wheels in, in turbochargers and things like that that you need to, to the material to maintain a high mechanical a high mechanical um, strength at, at, at close to its close to its melting point high temperatures that Inconel and, and super alloys are gonna are gonna be beneficial for those those type of applications um, I suppose the other thing is with electric vehicles there's kind of unique there's, there's, there's different properties that are required out of the materials used to manufacture those and uh, Inconel alloys can bring benefits in, into those sort of applications as well. Thank you for that. So I heard that Inconel is also used for black box for uh, recorders on aircraft and also for um, airspace. What are the limits to Inconel? Obviously we've talked already about how they're, they're not necessarily the easiest materials to work with in machine. So that does provide some limitations. Um, cost, I suppose, could be considered a limitation. And then, in general, um, th they're limited by, by their properties, by their upper working temperatures, by their, by their mechanical properties, etc. In, in the applications. I think um, one interesting, interesting uh, thing is, is the use of um, single crystal nickel um, in, in jet engines, where actually uh, it's been cleverly engineered to work uh, kind of uh, and operate above its melting temperature. Um, so so even even though you might consider some of these things limitations, uh, sort of clever researchers and, and scientists uh, will find ways to, to potentially get around some of those limitations. But obviously um, you're limited by physics, I, I suppose, maybe is the, the most simple way of putting it. So is Inconel new for the 3D printing world? Some people have, have used Inconel and have, have printed parts uh, using Inconel, but it's still quite a new area of development. So initially, I think additive manufacturing was focused on the, the, the grades of titanium and aluminium and steel uh, that, that uh, are more common. And, um, and then it, it will move, move into trying to work with some of the the uh, maybe more exotic or more difficult to work with uh, alloys of which I suppose the fa Inconel family kind of comes into that. So certainly been used. Uh, there's examples of 3D printed Inconel parts, I think, already being used. We've we've been involved in, in kind of the experimental printing of, of kind of rocket nozzles um, using Inconel. But there's still there's still probably a lot to learn uh, with, with additive manufacturing and, and nickel alloys and Inconel in general. And what do you think Inconel brings new to the 3D printing? So I suppose that w what it brings is it brings the properties of, of Inconel um, and the super alloys into uh, rapid prototyping. And we talked about 
earlier that one of the limitations of, of Inconel was potentially its machinability and its difficulty to work and difficulty to, uh, or more being more difficult than some other metals and alloys. Um, if you can if you can use 3D printing, it gives you a completely new toolbox uh, uh, to design parts, to manufacture parts. So it's the combination of the approach of additive manufacturing and the properties of the of the alloy, which could could unlock kind of new unknown unknown applications and benefits. We had a, an experience with with Inconel a few years ago uh, with a company that had done exactly what, what you said, where they mix different materials to get a better performance. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? So that's yet another um, potential benefit of additive manufacturing on top of obviously the, the processing of the materials through the printers, the properties of the materials, but then when you consider that the additive manufacturing technique also gives you the the potential for multi-material components that that brings in then a whole new dimension so you can design one part of the component with Inconel where maybe the, the hottest part of the, the nozzle is for example and then the part where it joins um, to the to the rest of the assembly or or something else can be can be printed in a different material and then you can you can phase that that join of the materials in the component uh, and that can potentially unlock um, lots of possibilities that were not really possible to consider with kind of um, more traditional manufacturing techniques. And uh, where where can you see the, the, the future of Inconel in 3D printing and also in generally? I think like we've been talking about um, the future is in is in um, the, the future of the automotive industry, the future of space and, and all the kind of things that we've not thought about yet um, and certainly uh, nickel based super alloys and that kind of area there's, there's a lot of research and a lot of applications that will benefit from from, from those materials. Uh, Aphrodite anything to add on, on the future of, of uh, additive manufacturing in Inconel? As we said, Inconel is a super alloy, right? So it has great strength, great corrosion resistance. It can withstand up to 1000 degrees Celsius, which is important. And science on the other side is continuously developing and you're trying to find materials that can withstand even in demanding, let's say, um, um, environment. So I think that Inconel has gained the attention of different industries, as we said, aerospace, automotive, even marine section industry and other industries that applications are, are demanding uh, environmental conditions. And I foresee a great future for Inconel in science and 3D printing and in general, as it is a super alloy. And uh, Adam, um... On the 3D printing side of, of this issues for, for, for Inconel, um, will that reduce the cost of, of the parts that, that are going to be processed using this, this technique compared with the traditional ways? Potentially. I mean, I don't really think it's probably fair to, to compare them like for like. Obviously, there's potentially a lot of costs in additive manufacturing at the moment because it's so new. Um, longer term, uh, like all technologies, they become more cost effective. I think the real exciting thing actually with additive manufacturing is you can just do things that were not possible before. So it's not even possible to compare them uh, cost-wise. I mean, sometimes it still makes sense to produce parts by a traditional um, 
manufacturing techniques and it because it's more cost effective uh, it's, it's, it's better better understood um, so so I think at the moment that you need to consider both of them uh, kind of separately uh, but also together um, I suppose um, in terms of um, do you want to invest in trying to produce this part by additive or is it something that actually is suited to to a more traditional approach um, and you can only do that by looking at everything part by part, application by application. Thank you for that. We're going to have a conversation after, of course, with uh, with uh, someone from a 3D printing company, uh, Vision Miner. Um, uh, which other materials do you kind of or stand out for, for the 3D printing industry? I mean, I think the, the possibilities um, are probably quite wide ranging. Um, I mean, there's lots of different alloys uh, that, that provide different properties that I think are being experimented with. There's there's a wide range of, of titanium alloys. Some of them are better understood than others. Stainless steel alloys as well, or uh, as you said, titanium, aluminium alloys as well for aerospace and um, automotive applications beyond the polymers, right? We're only discussing about metal alloys. The other kind of next frontier, I suppose, in, in additive manufacturing is probably ceramics. Again, brings other challenges, but manufacturing of, of ceramics by additive manufacturing is is maybe the next kind of um, wave so we've had polymers metals and then and then ceramics i think that's a, an interesting point and we're definitely going to take this further with with our next guest but uh, from you two thank you very much for your time today it's always great to speak with you and uh, we'll speak again soon in the uh, new podcast thanks joe thank you joel Materials inside and outside in have teamed up in their mission to make the art and materials world more accessible to everyone. We invite you to join us by sharing this podcast and donating on our website Materials Hub, where 100% of the donations will go towards supporting artists from marginalized groups. Outside In pretty much started on an experience that happened in a period of my life when I'd sort of fallen out of love with the art world and I ended up volunteering for a charity working with people who learn disabilities. I was immediately struck by the talent of the people at that table. You know, at that time I just remember thinking, oh my God, how lucky, you know, what, what, what a thing to have found. And just seeing how inspired and passionate they are about what they've been doing is really rewarding. One of the latest exhibition openings we had was for our recent national exhibition called Environments. For the artists to be in that space and witness people really valuing their work, buying it, just was so special to watch. So the, the aims of the charity are to uh, see it become truly national and people will then know the name outside in. The aspiration is to change the art world and you know you'd hope at a certain point that you'd become you know not needed. Which is why it's still so important that we are running these exhibitions that we are, that we're representing the artists that we do represent. I hope that, you know we'd get to that point where the art world is a much fairer place um, yeah and then I could step back. <laughs> Joining me now is Rob Lent, co-founder at Vision Minor a US 3D printing company who provides 3D printing service to many industries. Vision Miner also provides 3D printing machines to customers with an ongoing service of technical advice on hand for those new to the 3D printing world. 
Hello, Rob. Thank you very much for your time today to have a conversation with us. Thanks for having me on. Glad to be here. Tell us a little bit more about how did you got into um, 3D printing? So me personally, it all started back in around 2012 when I was working in an advertising firm and an older guy there that was sort of a mentor dropped a giant box off in my cubicle and said, here, put this together. And I was like, excuse me, what, 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 what is this? Um, and he had seen this little part that I got from the original MakerBot samples. And it was a little screw and a nut that you could screw together and I'd shown it to him one day. And then next thing I know, he's got a, uh, you know, three hundred dollar uh, press board uh, MakerBot clone in a box on my desk next to my in my cubicle, and I was like, "Wow, okay." So you know, took it apart and put it together. Never actually got that thing working. And then about two or three years later, I was working with another guy in the drone industry, and we were printing stuff for gimbals and and you know camera mounts and things like that for our drones and. We were doing that stuff and we had found that really ABS and uh, standard materials that were available, you could prototype a part and get the, sh the fit and finish and shape, but they weren't strong enough to put a 10 pound camera on and put up on a drone. So they just, you know, uh, the parts would break or they'd flex too much and it just wasn't what we really wanted to do, you know, for the prototypes of CNC to aluminum parts. So that was when the search really began for, okay, let's do metal 3D printing, let's do you know, high strength stuff. And we found the peak and Ultim polymers and it was just starting to come out in the open material market. And we saw it and we were like, this that metal replacement, you know, uh, close to titanium in a lot of ways. Okay, yeah, let's get into this. And so we started, you know, uh, learning the tech and getting some printers and, and doing it. And we realized nobody else was doing it and it was had a lot of potential in just general use as well as heavy industry and so we decided hey let's go all out in this let's learn this stuff and and start you know selling it and help other people use it and see if we can make something out of this because it's cool and it's strong and it's high tech and it's fun and let's figure it out from here so that's really uh you know been exposed to it for many years but it wasn't until you know late 2016 early 2017 that we really decided to dive in and go you know both feet both hands all out let's master this stuff and start helping other people with it and doing quite well uh, um at the moment after after those years uh, starting you already mentioned some of some of the materials used and of course this podcast is is about uh, a specific material in canal we know that ink canal is a new material for the 3d printing world have you had any experience with that material so far uh yeah a little bit um i, I work with a lot of other bigger companies so some of our customers in aerospace will actually need that maybe they'll do something a prototype in polymer and then move into the ink canal and everything but it is so new being able to 3D print this stuff. We're seeing a lot of different things happen. A lot of it's still in the early R&D phases or like the prototypes are like, hey, let's actually put this on a rocket. But we're seeing, you know, some incredible stuff for the designs of those parts. So now they can print an entire, you know, jet turbine shroud with integrated cooling inside and they can do it all in one part and it'll be lighter, stronger, and more efficient than anything they could create before. And we've got companies like Velo 3D using Inconel, and they've got you know overhangs that are, I believe, down to 10 degrees. So the the design freedom of the actual printing process is much more 
than it was before as well. Um, and so we're seeing a lot, a lot, a lot more of that. And originally we were like, we want to get straight into metal. And what we found is really the barrier to entry for the super high quality stuff was so high financially, like millions of dollars. They're like, all right, well, what else can we do? And we've dabbled in, you know, the, the low end metals. You can get a spool of metal impregnated filament for four to four to eight hundred dollars and do that debind and center. And that's, yeah, it's not really up to the, the level of accuracy and everything that we need. And then when you get up into the powder bed and everything else, or even the Mark Forge and desktop metal systems, the expense is still really high. And then when you get into Inknell, it's like, wow, a whole nother level of, uh, of ability and costs um, and just the infrastructure you need to set up something like that. Like, you know, several hundred thousand dollars in HVAC equipment if you have the proper facility <laughs> for the multi-million dollar machine. Um, so we are seeing a ton of stuff, uh, you know, coming out in that. And it's been a really cool experience just to see all this metal that's being done. Even the medical industry, you know, aside from aerospace, like, it's pretty cool. Vision Miners, uh, videos on YouTube are really good fun and informative. Um, what is the mission behind your YouTube presence? So. You know, my background, uh, a lot of my passion is in technology and the internet. I started building websites around, you know, nine or ten years old. And so the internet has, over the years, taught me a lot of stuff. Even to the point where a majority of my additive manufacturing experience has been self-taught online. So I've always seen, like, one of the best ways to learn is to show and show the real stuff. And the mission is really to demystify 3D printing technologies uh, and what we specialize in now, what we'll specialize in in the future, and what we'll expand to. But giving people something tangible to understand and there's to understand the 3D printing processes. And there's all the technical aspects of temperatures and you know, uh, different, you know, tensile strengths and different mechanical properties and flame properties, chemical resistances. Uh, but then there's the, you know, print it out and put it in your hands and break it or, you know, see the parts up close. And one of the things that's really missing, I think, from a lot of 3D printing companies is you'll see all these nice parts, but where are the super up close pictures? Um, where are the, you know, the videos showing, here's the challenges that you'll actually meet. You know, 3D printers aren't these magical toys that, that just make whatever you want and it's great. There's, there's all kinds of caveats in it. And so uh, we discovered that in order to be successful in sales, we have to pre-qualify the customer. And in 3D printing, since it can be difficult, we have to make sure that the customer knows that it can be difficult. It can be magical and amazing and you get awesome parts, but there's those those walls of fire you got to push through to get to that point a lot of the time and the skills necessary to operate the machines and do it you know optimized and do it properly to get the strength and the surface finish and everything that you want on your part so we found that being able to do videos and just show people ins and outs of stuff and and demystify this thing that looks like this magical box to yeah, you know, it's uh, it's motors and electronics and rails and and you're squeezing hot plastic through a nozzle in the end for most of the stuff we work in, and being able to do that on video and answer people's questions or make videos on the most you know most answered or most asked questions that we receive, um, 
It's just a really efficient way to go through a lot of information in multiple formats. You know, there's three primary ways people learn, visual, auditory, and kinesthetic. So while we can't really necessarily give everybody parts, we can show them the parts and talk about the parts and write about the parts and get all three, um, you know, get, get the senses involved so that people understand it more before just jumping in and, and doing it. And then we can show off new materials and sort of like like our recent material um, series where we just take each material and I print these five parts and then we talk about the material and then we break the parts and burn the parts. It's like, yeah, show me how this stuff reacts. I'm going to take this stick and, and, and bust it and see how it breaks, see how, how does it bend, does it you know shatter, how does it react in real life? You know, we can all look at megapascals, oh, 5,200 megapascals and you know, some people can translate that to understand what that'll hold, but in the end it comes down to can I make this bracket out of this material and will it work? Or can I put this into this environment and will it hold up over time? Uh, if we can, sh the more we can show, the easier it is to make a decision uh, to buy or go with something else. So it really, it, you know, is to educate and also to inspire people because not enough people, know, everybody, a lot of people know about 3D printing, but most people don't know that they could actually get started in it with their business tomorrow. You know, they can they can actually do this stuff. Um, and then also along there is it's not magic, it's not a microwave. You do have to get some skills, but the potential is virtually endless for what you can do. So doing video and, and all the different, you know, the fun stuff and the informative stuff and everything is really just to uh, inspire people to get into it and show them what they're actually getting into so there's, they're less surprised and they know what to expect and they can, they can see themselves actually doing it. Well, that's, that's right, uh, Rob. You use YouTube also to support people uh, that, that uh, want to learn more about, about the 3D printing. As a company, uh, what other products or services do you offer? So we've, since the beginning, we've really decided to specialize in high temperature functional materials. And that's led us into the uh, aerospace, medical, and oil and gas and energy sectors primarily. So we offer the printers to print the materials. We have the full set of materials themselves uh, for you know supplies, the raw material, uh, and then tools and accessories to actually make the jobs easier to use the, the whole you know, all the systems, uh, like for example, our carbon fiber plates. We made those because we were breaking glass plates all the time and it was costing a lot of money. And so we made those for ourselves, they worked great. We, and then we released them to the public and it's like, well, okay, you know, uh, people are saving a lot of money and time. You can let parts cool down on the plate or our nanopolymer adhesive, you know, it was really difficult to get the high temp polymers like Peak and Ultim to stick to the plate. And so we went out and we were like, okay, let's make a different method. And we hired a scientist and over nine months developed this glue that goes on smooth and holds like, a, like nothing else. Uh, and so that was something that we made for ourselves and now it's available to customers. So really the systems to do the printing, everything you need uh, from spare nozzles and consumables to uh, the materials themselves. And then anything we come up with, since we're using them every day, uh, we have a print service, so a lot of the times people may not want to invest in a $10,000 system to actually print all these materials, but they need these five parts or these 20 parts or this run of parts or this single prototype in this material. 
And so we'll do that for them. And then a lot of the times those people will be like, oh, well, I can actually do that myself and they'll get a system. Uh, but that all feeds into our print service. And the print service, once again, feeds right back into the stuff that we make and sell. Uh, so really the full gamut, if you want to get into functional, high temperature, chemically resistant parts, uh, we've got just about everything you need in the FDM process. I really like the, the idea of the business in the box, the one that you, you, you have as, as, uh, as company. Uh, is it really that simple to get uh, going with 3D printing? Uh, pretty much. It is that simple. Now, we do want to be clear, it's not magic, right? As long as you can put in effort, then yeah, it's absolutely there. Like just this week, I've had two specific customers who had, hey, I've got this part. Uh, we're, I'm 3D printing it. I can 3D print it. My customer just ordered 10,000. This is going to pay for all the systems. And we're going to use this printer to do other stuff like this too. And it's like, boom, all right, you've already got a concept, you've got a, a customer, and right off the bat, this machine is going to be making you money. That's the most direct line to it. Um, in the other sense, it's, you know, hey, I'm, I work with aerospace people and I see all these parts that can be done or should be done in 3D printing, or maybe it's a machining place, uh, you know, a machine tool place, and they're like, I can print these press brake uh, tools, or I can print these jigs and fixtures, and we're not going to spend, you know, the thousands of dollars in the aluminum stock that we were before. And they can immediately get the box in, take their already existing 3D designs, start 3D printing it, and boom, you've got ROI right out the door. Now, a lot of people, uh, especially in the consumer market, think that it's a microwave. Uh, you press a button, receive a part. Whereas it's more like a CNC machine where there are skills and there are things that you know, need to be learned in order to operate that machine properly. Uh, and with each different material, they each have their own little personalities per se. You know, this one likes to warp, this one doesn't like to stick, this one likes to, you know, likes thin walls, this one you can print thick as you want, it'll never have a problem. Um, so as long as the person realizes that there is there is there are skills it's a new skill to learn and to you know to either have someone doing or do yourself then yeah so it's not magic uh but it's it's incredibly easy to find an application that can generate roi get a printer and immediately have a business that's running it's it's pretty cool pretty pretty cool Thank you, Rob. Um, I think that the, the main thing of uh, what you said is uh, the business needs an F uh, and people need to put an F and just don't think there is a business in a box, like you said. Um, in the last few years, the price of 3D printing has reduced uh, significantly. Uh, what do you think is the main reason or the cause for that? So realistically, the expiration of patents. Um, for 3D printing has been around more than 30 years now, uh, but the patents to do the basic technology have, have been owned that entire time, mostly by Stratasys and 3D Systems. So what we saw about 10, 15 years ago, as soon as the original patents started expiring, we started seeing open source projects. So we saw the RepRap movement, we saw things like the original Ultimaker and the MakerBot, uh, that were you know build-it-yourself kits and things like that because that Cartesian robot design was no longer protected by a patent. So as time's gone on, we've seen more and more patents expire, and uh, the most recent one being Stratasys heated chamber uh, patent for keeping the 
chamber hot and keeping the electronics outside the chamber. And this is this is a whole new level because it's going to change the entire landscape of high temperature machines over the next couple of years, uh, which simply couldn't be done because of legal patent issues here in the U.S. So as all that's, I mean, you know, in the original, now you can get a 3D printer for 200 bucks that's actually pretty good. So we have, you know, manufacturers all over the world jumping onto this tech and making kits that work and are consumer grade and seeing the, the desire of people, whether it be makers, DIY people, or, you know, even small offices or machine shops being like, hey, we, can, we want to 3D print stuff. Uh, the demand is obviously there, so manufacturing has just continually found ways to make it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, and how do we get this to more people? And that's resulted in a huge uh, consumer market of, of machines that will do basic materials. Now, the, the problems you run into with those machines is generally you know, lower quality in general, but often it's things like you know everything's made out of aluminum extrusion and bolts will come loose or you know drivers or the electronics aren't necessarily the highest end and so that's really the difference between the consumer market and industrial markets for industry things have to still be built out of metal they have to be accurate for you know anywhere from two to ten years uh, and other things like that so for the consumer market you know where it's not you know, money relying on the production of this machine, then you can get away with a lot more of that. And we're making trinkets and toys and things like that. So you can have uh, the, you know, I say lower quality, but they're still great machines uh, for what they are and for the price point. But really that, that expiration of the technology patents and that, you know, uh, stranglehold on innovation as those expire and go away, finally everyone can do it, not just you know Stratasys or this company or that company. Uh, so now we've got a hundred, if not a thousand, if not ten thousand times the mines actually going at it, and so you see faster innovation in the market as well as prices dropping and things becoming more available. Is something that we talk about here uh, uh, about other products, special new products, is the more uh, user of that product and, uh, and, and need of that, of course, the price will, will will bring down. I think it's a little bit the same uh, that we were talking about. You know, the loss of some patterns is important, of course, to make the, the competition bring new new materials and and also new new techniques. Um, talking again about materials, and of course, again, I know. This is about Inconel, the, the podcast, but we know that um, you have been working with a, a range of other materials that we will also talk about on, on past and also future podcasts. PIC is one of them. Um, what inspire you to, to, to use uh, PIC in, in, your, in the projects that you, you've been working with? It, the same thing happened for us that happens with a lot of people nowadays, I believe, too, which is PIC. Just learning about peak, okay, it's super rigid, it's, it's very, very strong, it's chemically resistant, it's got great abrasion properties, it's comparable to titanium in its wear properties, it's very, very, very stiff. You're like, okay, this seems like a great option for not having to do metal. Now, it is very expensive, um, but it was really like, wow, we can make things that are close to metal out of plastics that are much much easier to actually do than the metals uh this is awesome so you sort of get that that sense of shiny object syndrome right so 
Uh, nowadays, I get a lot of people calling and they want Peak because it's the best. And they don't really know about Peak or what it's best for and how difficult it actually can be. So um, much like ourselves, we started at Peak and we're like, oh, let's branch out and look at these other ones. Oh, wow, this works great. And this is, you know, this, this is, these other materials are far easier to do, but still, you know, far meet the requirements that we need for this part. Um, so it's really the ability to get metal strength out of polymers that could be done in an office without a multi-million dollar investment. <laughs> and it was really um, camera gimbals for drones that, that really set that off. And is it easier to use PIC in 3D printing? Uh, I would not call it easy. <laughs> Some parts are easy. Uh, but PIC in particular, uh, the semi-crystalline nature of it means that it forms bonds as it cools down, right? It forms different chains inside the polymer. And when it does that, as it cools down, if you have something like a corner where one side is shorter than the outside, then you get warping and curling and you get shifting of the material as it cools. So PIC is one of the worst for this. Uh, it warps like crazy, crazy. Um, one quote from one of my material scientists was that it's literally around 20,000 pounds per square inch of pulling force, uh, which is one of the reasons it's hard to get it stuck to the bed. One of the reasons when it does contract and cool, it pulls chunks of glass. Uh, and it's just, it's definitely challenging to work with compared to the other materials. So that's one of the reasons we moved from it to the other materials as well. Because <laughs> not only is it one of the most expensive, uh, but it's also one of the most difficult. So which ones are your favorite materials to work with? We do a lot of stuff in Ultim, which is great because it's very similar to peak in rigidity and flame, re flame resistance and chemical resistance, uh, but it prints much easier. And Ultim is one of the, there's two grades of Ultim. There's Ultim 1010, which is the amber color we see, and then Ultim 9085, which is the more pearlescent white-ish, off-white color. Um, and these two materials have been printed by Stratasys for many years, so the aerospace and medical industries are already familiar with them, and they do a lot of stuff in injection molding, machining, and even 3D printing. So these are easy to get into because people already know, awesome, that'll work for me. Let's do it. Uh, but personal favorites, um, Ultim 9085 is huge because you can print just about any part in it. It's gonna be strong and it's gonna work almost definitely. Now it can be expensive. Uh, so for me personally, I'm a huge fan of the carbon fiber nylons. Uh, and there's about six or seven different types of carbon fiber nylon, but CFPA6, it's one of my favorites just because it's easy to print. You get incredibly strong parts, really good layer adhesion, and it's not a huge pain. And the carbon fiber in there, nylon, nylon is uh, widely regarded as a very difficult, you know, challenging material to print. But when you put the carbon fiber in there, it gets rid of so much of the warping that it actually almost becomes easy. And then the results that you get, the surface finish, the the, the quality of look of the part, and then. You know, if you modify it and print it a little hotter or change your settings, you get per almost perfect layer adhesion. It's, it's just awesome. The parts you get look great, feel great. They're super strong. Um, and then we also do a lot in the, um, like, HTN. So there's CFPA6, and then there's CFPA12, which is a little bit higher temp, a little bit different chemical resistance. And then you've got HTN and HTN-CF25, which instead of 10%, is at 25% carbon fill. 
and a lot of the strengths in there, not direct 100%, but the uh, it's comparable to aluminum. They actually call it black aluminum, especially in applications like uh, mold tooling and jigs and fixtures. It just comes out so rigid and it's got super high temperature resistance using that PPA uh, high temperature nylon that it, it's it's a very cool material. And then another material that is more new, uh, PCTG. Now it's not a super crazy engineering material but it's got great chemical resistance and the coolest thing is that not only does it print on every printer, just about every printer because it prints as low as 210 on the nozzle, I like printing around 240, 250, but the Z adhesion, they've done some stuff to this copolyester in the lab at Essentium, where when you print it, it actually has slightly better adhesion in the Z axis. Now, if you know anything about FDM, the, the dirty little secret per se is that the Z adhesion between the layers up and down as opposed to side to side is notoriously lower than it should be, right? If you have an isotropic part that's injection molded, it's gonna be strong in every direction. But in 3D printing, the Z axis is always gonna be a little bit weaker. Now with PCTG, uh, it's a little bit, it's about the same price, just a little more expensive than PLA. It's about 50 bucks a kilo, roughly. And it's isotropic strength. It prints with perfect layer adhesion. And this is just, this is so new, and something we haven't seen in any, any other material that it just makes it fantastic to work with. It prints easy as PLA, it's affordable, you can make anything in it, uh, and it's, yeah, it's amazing. The only downside uh, so far is that the temperature resistance only goes up to the mid 70 Celsius range. So um, you can't quite sterilize it in like steam autoclaves and things like that, but just for making functional parts, great impact strength, good chemical resistance to most things, you know, similar to PETG. Uh, it's an awesome material. So the carbon fiber nylon, the PCTG, and then the Ultims are probably my favorites. A few, a few great um, ideas there. Your favorite materials. What about uh, interesting requests? I know there is some confidentiality here, so I'm not going to ask you to to tell mm -hmm. us everything. But which one do you think is the most interesting request that you had for 3D printing materials? So I mean, two of them really stand out to me. And the first one. The first one was requested in regular peak and then we switched over to carbon fiber peak and we didn't know, we, they couldn't tell us what it was for for the first six months. So we developed the project, we made the part work and it was just this tiny little one inch by one inch print that was, it, it started out around a centimeter tall and it was just perf like little squares, little channels going through this thing, much like a little filter. And we're like, what is this? All we know is this contractor is working with NASA. We have no idea what this is for, but okay, cool. And we went for a few weeks and really tuned in those parts and got those working. And then they were like, awesome. This you know, got us our next round of funding. Let's get a machine, let's get everything and move along. Oh, and by the way, we can now tell you, uh, the white paper's been published. We can tell you what these are for. They're actually uh, filters in the fuel system for the new spacewalk suit. And we were like, what? Like, seriously? Oh my good lord. Like, okay, so you're telling me these parts we've been working on for the last six months are, are going in 
to the spacewalk suit. Okay. We, we didn't even know. You know, it, that was a really cool moment. Hey, guys, remember that project uh, we were doing? Yeah, it's going into space. And it was like, what? Super cool. There's actually um, a little feature in the 3D Printing Nerd video where uh, the 3D Printing Nerd, big YouTuber uh, for 3D Printing, came to our facility, and we show off that part. And there's an article on our website as well. Um, now, another one that really stuck out to me, it was in PPSU, polyphenol sulfone. Now, super high temp and low temp performance, chemical resistance, very strong. And we had this guy that was, he had these vials and caps that were, you know, the size of your average pen, maybe a little bit thicker. Um, and he needed eight at first, and then there was 20 something, and then however many we did, and he also couldn't tell us what it was for, but we're like, he's like, yeah, we're in the medical sector and this needs to survive in, uh, in cryogenic chambers. And we're like, cool, cryogenic chambers, that sounds awesome, let's, you know, we do it. And then we found out that those vials were actually holding capsules that held eggs for in vitro fertilization down in the cryogenic chambers. And it was like, we're printing stuff that's, that's, directly that nobody will ever see that's directly affected to to people's lives you know i mean a vial for in vitro fertilization eggs going into a crowd chamber like it, it never saw it coming um <laughs> it's been a really interesting journey where i mean almost every every day uh at least every week we see some new application that we never even Never even knew existed, you know, some industry, something, some process of, you know, manufacturing or medical devices or whatever, and it's like, this is doing what? <laughs> you know, I didn't even know that existed. Um, and that's the nature of the game, too, with a lot of these high-temp materials, is that they're, they're expensive, but they perform, and so they're used in certain areas of industry that you'll probably never see or even hear about, but they're there, and they're working. And so, yeah, we get to see some pretty interesting stuff. I think that's the interesting thing. And of course, we try to inspire people for the science and research around all this. And I think what you just said is exactly those those two examples of doing something quite small. And then when you see the, the big picture, you see what, where they go is quite, yeah. quite impressive. Yeah. We try to, to inspire the new generations to, to get in scientific fields. Do you think 3D printing can help with that too? Yeah, I mean, so one of the biggest factors is time, right? In traditional manufacturing, if to get to get something made, often takes a lot of time. You know, I all right, let me 3D model. Uh, for example, in in chemistry, right? I've seen a lot of things where it's this block, and maybe it's two halves, and they're using it as a chemical reactor. So they put one chemical in one side one chemical on the other side and it goes through these internal chambers until it mixes in the perfect ratio and somehow that does its thing. Now traditionally you know you'd have to maybe get that made in aluminum or some sort of metal or stainless something like that and that means you make your 3D file you send it out to the shop you wait two weeks they get it done it comes back oh it's off by half a millimeter we need to get it done again then you're a month out and you're spending tons of money making it all happen and Whereas now, one of these these scientists could they could prototype that reactor in a matter of hours, have it you know make the design in the morning, print it out. By the time they're leaving the office, they've got their first prototype, and they can check you know fitment and finish and everything, and maybe make some modifications. And then with the the printers and stuff that we sell, they could actually print that out of something like Peak and have a functional 
you know, chemical reactor uh, versus going to metal. So the ability to rapidly prototype something and have your initial version on one day and have your final version a few days later or that same day is a game changer, especially if they're you know, doing end-use plastic parts, then you can literally go from manufacturing. You can make your own things. You can test products. You can even test the market. Hey, we've got this idea for a clip that's going to you know, help with this hobby. Okay, let's make the clip. We'll throw it on Facebook Marketplace and start selling it. And I, I've heard countless stories of guys who are like, dude, I started I printing you know, these little planters, and the moms won't stop buying them on Facebook. I can't print them fast enough. I need two more machines. You know. And we're like, well, didn't see that coming. Or the, you know, in the science labs, just being able to get even a custom jig for holding different types of vials in the laboratory. You know, uh, anything can be done that would previously be okay. Maybe we go to the wood shop and build this thing, and then you know the skills involved there. Whereas now it's almost as easy as if we can get the 3D model, we can put it in the printer and have at least a basic prototype within hours uh and that shortened span i think has a huge effect on how fast things can be developed how fast ideas you know evolve and generate and it's just i mean it's really the time factor i would say is the biggest thing um aside from the materials and being able to do that in an actual functional material that day so instead of waiting weeks for the machine shop to do this thing you actually made it and you've got it and you tested it and test it and modify the design and then wait again for manufacturing you can try a new design tomorrow and a new design the day after that and it's uh yeah just an absolute game changer and i think you're right that the special uh, the new generation won things so quick and so immediate i think that's going to be uh, where the 3d printing is going to bring uh, or you already gave us some examples of that but more uh, advantage of course at this stage we're going to need to talk about covid uh, we're still going through uh, this pandemic um how did covid affect the world of 3d printing so it was a very interesting one in the first couple of months you know, you see supply chains getting disrupted. Oh, now I can't get anything from overseas because all the airlines are shut down. Um, what do we do? Uh, and then you see in the medical side, hey, we need masks. You know, well, we can print these things or the, um, the ventilators or the, um, you know, the swabs that they're doing for the, all the testing. It's like things like that where we used to Rely, you know, everybody goes to China. Let's go over there where they can get it done cheaper than anybody else, and we can have it in a couple of weeks. Well, okay, now all all transport is shut down. What do you do? Where can you get, you know, just for sustaining your own business? It's like I can't get these fasteners or these parts, uh, these little brackets that complete my product. Well, okay, we're seeing a ton of people consider 3d printing that knew about it before but we're like yeah not yet i'm getting it cheap enough and they're like i can't get my product i gotta make money i need to get a 3d printer now or i need to get it made here in the u.s now and so once again we're looking at time but really the supply chains and not pro not rapid prototyping but rapid production uh, actually having the materials needed to complete and use products and that's huge in our industry too because the materials we work with their functional and use parts can be made as opposed to just you know PLA you can you can do a lot with PLA but it'll melt in your car right so that's mm, you know uh, with the functional high temp materials people are actually switching over to that um, 
it's it's really I think supply chain is the biggest the biggest impact it's had, but also bringing manufacturing back. So supply chain, bringing that supply chain back to the local area, you know, that be Europe or Americas or wherever you are, um, just the the abilities to be able to make products, make custom products yourself or at least locally people had to find that and so there were already the resources there and i think it showed a big spotlight on what's already there and so it's actually grown it uh, we actually had despite the times we had a, a pretty large increase in our annual revenue uh, there's a couple months of lull and then it almost picked up a little bit we're seeing similar things this year where more people know about it, more people know the abilities of it, more people now have had 3D printed parts in their hand than ever before in history, most likely, just based on the masks and the, uh, and the testing swabs. I mean, you know, people are closer to it than ever before, and it's just the spotlight's on it. So it's, you know, amazingly almost been a blessing for the entire industry. That's a great, a great message, and of course, um, we're almost in the end of, of, of this conversation being really good, and uh, I always get uh, get carried away with with conversation. There's one more question uh, um, that I want to ask you, of course, and that is to do with the future and uh, what does the future hold for you and for for the company? You know, as all these patents expire, we're seeing a lot of new machines getting developed that couldn't be developed before, and that's going to make things even easier. And I think uh, a big thing for us is staying on top of what's out there, what's available, and, and what works, and using that in our shop so we can provide it to our customers. Uh, so I see a lot more people getting into these these types of materials and everything, a lot more machines getting into it. But then on the other side, the software side of things, the artificial intelligence and machine learning that's going to be integrated over the next few years that will eventually turn these into magic boxes like we were talking about earlier. Like right now, you need a skilled operator most of the time. Uh, but in the future, it will be, you know, algorithmically detecting issues and fixing those issues on the fly to the point where we have almost, you know, eventually it'll be like a Star Wars replicator <laughs> where push button, receive part. Um, and then for us in general, too, we do a lot. We're very heavy on the media side. So as we pick up other companies and we do more marketing for people and we just, you know, dive into our own unbiased reviews of things and demystify the technology for the community and for you know the industries uh we're gonna be pushing more heavily into that just doing more education um and just bringing more people into the market really um but there's a lot of stuff coming i'm i'm really excited for the software side of things the software and ai machine learning to do all the problem solving and there's a lot of stuff happening in that region so i see that completely change into the game to the point where grandma could do the print, you know, <laughs> and uh, definitely excited for that. And do you think that's going to develop in uh, things like the multi-materials and even go out of, of, of the materials that we've been speaking uh, about here, you know, the polymers, the metals and ceramics, do you think that could be something in the future too? Definitely. It's almost essential for the future of it because what really happens is there's so many variables going on. And with the multi-materials especially, each material having its own personality, you know, it warps a little bit more, it likes to crack if it's too thick or if it, 
you know, needs this higher temperature. Getting all those variables in line to print the multiple materials together, whether that be colors or support material or, you know, living hinges like flexible materials inside of rigid materials. And then combining materials that are significantly different temperatures or different, you know, different properties, um, I think it's going to be pretty a pretty big deal for honing in each one and then honing in all those working together. Um, I kind of tell people a lot of the time, you know, customers that are just getting into it, I, I, you know, I'm frank with them. I tell them it's still kind of the Wild West. Like, yeah, it's been around 30 years. Yeah, it's been in the mainstream for 10 years, uh, but it's still, you know, for five, two, three, four, five years ago, we had the machines revolution. Everybody and their mom's making a machine. We got 100 new machines, you know, coming out of China, 100 new machines coming out of Europe, 100 new machines coming out of America. Now we've sort of moved into, okay, established machines and materials. We're in the materials revolution. There's new materials coming out every other week. You know, there's these companies releasing their line of carbon fiber nylon, this company with their line of carbon fiber nylon, everybody with all their different stuff, and that'll gradually move into the, you know, the software and the AI, and, and it's sort of evolving one section at a time, and as that gets honed in, then it moves on to the next section. Okay, materials, let's hone that in. Okay, now actually using the materials, we need better thinking, operating software, etc. Um, and yeah, I think it'll come in very, very, very handy. That's going to be really nice and, and interesting to see the future. Um, Rob, thank you very much for your time. We're going to have information about your website and also your YouTube account in the end of this podcast. So uh, anyone that wants to, to, to learn more about, about 3D printing and um, Vision Miner uh, will be able to do that. Um, Rob, thank you very much for your time. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Great to be on. I'm now joined by Kay Hanna, who has had quite the journey throughout the coronavirus pandemic. Coming from quite a low point, Kay decided to set up a 3D printing company. Geeky Meeples supply board game parts and accessories to enhance the playability of the game. The company is still growing, but is already successful enough to support Kay and her family. Hello Kay, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit more, um, how did you got into 3D printing? I can't take all the credit for it, unfortunately, as much I'd love to, but it was my partner, Jason, who had the idea. He'd seen an opportunity in a particular area that we um, we visit a lot, which is gaming, and he'd seen a lot of people saying that they bought 3D printers to upgrade their gaming experience via board game upgrades and upgraded playing pieces and upgraded playing aids. And he said, I think it was something really interesting for us to get into. And at the time, it wasn't financially viable. We'd had a, a couple of turbulent years financially and we, we were in a position where we were in between homes. So we had moved out of our family home and we're currently living with between, sorry, currently living between my parents' house and his parents' house. So I'd said, it looks really interesting. It looks great. However, we can't afford it. But when we do get our new house, Let's talk about it again. Now, I'm very open in the fact that myself and my partner Jason are very faddy in nature in the fact that we have these ideas and we get heavily invested, but sometimes they're short-lived. So I didn't think anything else would come of it. Then within a few weeks of moving into our new home, Jason approached me and said, I really want to 
get this get a 3D printer. And I thought, you know what, he and he went out, he'd, he'd done all the research for it, he'd looked at all the reviews, he'd spent over a year at this point looking at the best machine he thinks we should get, the different materials that we could print with, what the output would be, and based on our very, very entry-level experience, the what he described as the perfect starting kit for us to get into the 3D printing world. So, being supportive part that I am, I said, yep, yeah, that's fine, you know, uh, but at the same time, we just moved into a new home, and I said, how are we going to, how much is it, and how are we going to pay for it? And he said, well, why don't we sell some of our board game collection, and then if 3D printing is successful, we might be able to sell a couple of bits to buy the board game back. So, between myself and Jason and my father-in-law, we sold a collection of our board games to buy our first printer and printer materials and the rest came from, was, that was the beginning of our 3D printed adventure really. And uh, did you manage to, to buy back the, the, the games that you sold for this project? We bought other games, I think it's probably the best way to put it, so we, the games which we sold were ones that we didn't were ones that were less desirable we didn't play but as the, I'm, the gaming market evolves it's always something new and exciting so we may not have bought back the exact games but we've bought back replacement games but the ones that we have bought back have been with intent to make 3d upgrades for and to upgrade the game experience so there's always been intention in the ones that we've bought back so one day maybe we'll get all of them back that we bought but at the same time we had to make a decision that when we moved into our house we couldn't have as many board games as we had last time and it's not financially viable anyway we had other needs that need to be met rather than buying board games and hopefully you'll be will be busy uh, working and, and no time for for playing the games uh, uh, that that is a, uh, i'm sure is a wish no yeah it is a wish but it's a combination the one thing that you find with 3d printing is that it's a fantastic experience, but it takes a lot of time to print an item. So in between the print runs, there is some down, some downtime, but not not enough to get too many board games in. <laughs> <laughs> you have time to play games in between printing. So th this podcast is about a material called Inconel, it's a metal. I know that material-wise, uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, what we use for on your, on your machines. But one of the things that we had was the previous guest was a company that have this called business in a box. Uh, um, was that your intention when you, you, you bought your first uh, 3D printer was kind of having already making you able to create this business? First intention wasn't that. It was a discussion when we went to purchase it, it was a bit of a loose discussion of, oh, well, one day maybe we could use it to to print something that we could sell. But the, we did buy it with the intention of being very much a plug and print system because a lot of 3D printers out there are very reasonable in price and they, are, they can produce exceptional quality printing, especially for anybody entering the market and wanting to just spend uh, have a spend a little amount of money to, to print however they do take a lot of tweaking and getting a lot of understanding it's, you have to build them from the start you have to add in additional pieces of equipment and upgrades and it can take an awful long time a lot of wasted printing as well to get that perfect print don't get me wrong the one that uh, Jason had researched that we bought still needs tweaking and but it's very much a plug and print model and 
that's what we wanted because we didn't know anything about 3D printing at all apart from what we'd seen on YouTube. We weren't familiar with a lot of computer-aided design programs. Our understanding was very simple. So we knew that we had a lot to learn and the, the less that we had to learn from the beginning would, would allow us to move a bit quicker into our printing journey. So as it moved, progressed, it did end up being, in essence, a business in a box because when we needed to pull into our into different areas to bring money in that was our one item that we thought is is this some is this something that we could make work as a business and because jason had done all the research that he had done he bought the ideal business in a box printer that we could have possibly asked for normally we ask about how did uh, um covid and, and the pandemic uh, impact on on people's lives and business and i'm sure that we all suffer with that and also you, but your business kind of uh, took a different level uh, throughout the pandemic, is that right? Yeah, so when we moved into our new home, which was the beginning of 2019, I was currently taking a career break after having um, a very successful career, but um, due to health reasons, it was decided that I needed to just take a step back and have a bit of a refocus as to what we wanted to do. And my partner, Jason's self-employed and he's a painter and decorator. So we went to 2019, very excited. We'd got settled into a new home. Jason's up and working. And then the pandemic hit. So the plan was for me to return back to work once we were settled in a new home. But unfortunately, both myself and Jason are clinically extremely vulnerable. And we were immediately told that you couldn't, that we had to go into shielding, which like most people across the world, um, having this virus that was going around and it was scary. We didn't know what we were going to do. Uh, the moment the pandemic hit the news with Jason being a painter and decorator, his work just stopped and was cancelled. And people were heartbroken to cancel the work because they knew how important it was to him being self-employed. But at the same time, we understood uh, the, we understood that everybody felt the way that we felt and the fact that we were scared and we weren't sure what was going on. Now, we did apply for help from our local council for helping maintain our finances. So we were quite lucky in that our local council, we applied, I mean, not applied for anything ever. Um, we were in a position where we applied for universal credit and local tax help and the, all that we, we can't thank our local council enough for, for providing that financial support but the, then the, the money that they provided paid for our bills and allowed us to keep a roof over our head what we didn't have a lot of money for for ourselves and our children was to put food on the table and we are lucky we have a very supportive family but we did receive the shielding food boxes from the government so we had a, a which were at the time we're quite a necessity because we were getting the things that we couldn't order online from a supermarket or family couldn't bring us because we couldn't get hold of like many people bread and milk and pasta and just some of the basics that we would use at home so for the first couple of months of the pandemic we were receiving the boxes and it was such an unusual experience for us to be in because we'd never found ourselves in our entire lives in a position where we'd been so reliant on the help of our local council and the help of volunteers and those around it and it was absolutely amazing uh, the what was there and we made the decision that 
we needed to do something we needed to pull on the resources that we had to bring some money in and to put more food on the table and to make things a little bit more comfortable to support our family and that's where 3d printing um, became started to become a business and it when we set out to do it it was a means to an end it was well, not a means to end it was it, it was something to help keep a roof comfortably over our head and to keep our family with food on the table but as we grew and knew more about it then it evolved into the option of well could we make this into a business with i've um, my career throughout my career i spent 10 years organize managing and organizing e-commerce websites building helping build them merchandising them and i'd got a lot of experience within that world of e-commerce and social media and my partner's very creative and he's very knowledgeable and whenever he gets invested in anything he really puts his all into it and together we said well let's pull it let's pull our resources together and make this a business it's, it's something that we can all enjoy and build and it means that we can have a lot more flexibility when the pandemic's over with our family in the fact that we can set the printers going and we can spend time with the kids and we're not leaving the house and and basically just building a better life for us in the long run and it's something that we'd never anticipated but something that throughout the course of last year and the impact of the pandemic brought a whole new focus on our lives as a family and what we wanted to do and how we wanted to spend our time together. And how is to run a business from, from home? And of course, where, where do you get space for that? Well, space is a premium. We have a very, our kitchen is our office and it's our homeschooling area and it is our dining area and our kitchen area and our food preparation area. So at the moment, it's very interesting. We have the option of looking at outdoor space to make a little bit more um, feasible to expand if needed, uh, but it's it's investment that at the moment we've, we haven't got the um, capital to do so. Yeah, working at home is interesting. I in my previous job before I left my career, I did I worked in an office and I worked a couple of days remotely when the world was in loose brackets. I say normal, so that on the days where I was working from home, I could drop my children off at school and I'd come home and I'd work and then I'd go and pick them up and I'd do a couple of hours once they'd gone to bed to catch up on the day's events to make sure everything was okay. That's not something that you can do when you're also homeschooling and I, what I would say about working from home is that it has it's a blessing and it's a curse because everything's under one roof and you can walk you can go down walk into my kitchen and at my office and i can check that the printer's doing okay and i can pick my laptop whenever i want and sit wherever i want in the house and work and that flexibility the kids need me brilliant i can stop working what i do miss is having this space to just get my head down and work because the one thing that you appreciate suddenly about being in an office is that you can go and have that time to yourself and constantly just carry on working when you're having those inspirational days and those days where you're feeling really motivated and um and you want to get absolutely loads done you haven't got um a nine-year-old pulling on your arm and saying can i have some cereal now please <laughs> i think i think we all can can relate with that at, at the moment you know what you said about the working from home 
um, is great because you are at home, but then y you easily go over eight, nine o'clock in the evening if, you, if you're not careful because you just have the laptop in front of you. Um, and I think we are going through the same. So let me see if I understand. Uh, the transition between the 3D on 3D printing, of course, was a passion uh, uh, or an hobby for, for, for Jason, for your partner, um, and then turned into a business in, in a period of time where the world all went crazy uh, with this pandemic how easy was uh, was to do it and uh, what was the biggest challenge for you for you to, to do that so the transition was relatively easy but that was predominantly for two factors one my partner was already self-employed so he was all for the background workings of being self-employed he was always very familiar he's a sole trader so he knows all the ins and outs and legalities and all the um the paperwork side of things he's already aware of which I've been helping him with for the past seven years whilst we've been together and we also because we'd applied for universal credit you get support from the team there at the local council with regards to myself because I was shielding and because I wasn't currently employed when I applied for universal credit they didn't put any pressure on for myself at that moment in time to go out and apply for jobs. They understand. Um, they understood very clearly that I'm heavily immunocompromised and I was in one of the highest of risk categories um, with regards to contracting COVID-19. So they were very supportive and they pretty much left me alone and just touched base every now and again and said, checked in that you know, we were okay and that we'd got everything we needed. When we discussed about, when, when myself and Jason discussed 3D, me, 3D printing becoming a business, I approached the job, we have the get allocated job centre coach, it was all new to me, I'm still, I'm, I'm, I still might be referring to them as the incorrect positions, but I was, we, were, we did have a coach and I inquired about becoming self-employed and said, is there any help out there with regards to financial support that the councils might offer, as it had been mentioned to me previously from other small businesses that sometimes when you do set up a company you can apply for local grants so immediately I got a message back saying yep there's these ones you can apply for they're not a lot of money but they're enough to get your initial outgoings uh, to cover the cost of your insurances to make sure that you get you can invest on some packaging and and whatever you need to make that business grow it's that little bit of an extra boost because I explained uh, previously that the money was paying for food and there wasn't any there wasn't a lot more money to reinvest at that moment in time so we went through the application process we had to apply like every other business that applied for them i had to fill in a business plan do a financial forecast for two years we had to present to a, a an additional coach that was part of the grant scheme as to why we believe that our business would work and our long-term goals and our aspirations for it and we were successful and we were passed in September for the grant so by October we started I officially registered as self-employed and we and registered as Geeky Meeples as um, at my business and then from that point onwards we've just been building the business re uh, reinvesting where we can afford to we've moved from one printer to three printers which has improved our capabilities um, well, three times over. It's as simple as that. And it's just, it's constantly evolving. But we find ourselves at the moment in a, in a very luxurious position where 
our printers are constantly running they're running 24 hours a day and we don't have any downtime on them if one breaks then we are putting delays on on orders but they are constantly moving and constantly printing and we're hoping that as soon as things uh, jason returns a bit more back to work that we can just start reinvesting some more of the money in this in the printing business back into the printing business rather than it being bill money but the the process overall of doing it of applying for the funding the help was easy the we, we've been impacted significantly by a lot of the global impacts that uh, most businesses will have felt we've been impacted on shortage of supply so one thing that happened when the pandemic hit is a lot of people went out and bought 3d printers with the absolutely aspirational hope of printing face masks and as mentioned previously printing in 3d is a isn't a fast process especially with the the, the smaller business in a box models and everybody went out and bought 3d printers and bought up a lot of the materials in the market to 3d print with so we had to do a bit of adaption at, that, at the moment in time when that happened we were able to print the masks because our printing bed was smaller than most of them so we wanted to help and we'd we'd gone out there to try and find a way to help but unfortunately we couldn't so we just carried on as we are doing what we were doing but it did mean that trying to build a business when the materials were not there it was difficult so we had to find different suppliers to get materials for which means and because there was a demand they were more expensive and then as we were coming out of the pandemic we also got hit by some of the brexit import um issues at the beginning of the year where once again we had a, a supply of manufacturers that were european based that would be able to get to us next day that suddenly disappeared and a lot of our reasonably priced materials disappeared as well within the space of 24 hours and we've it's only it's only just been the last few weeks that we started to see that stock return to the UK from other suppliers buying it into the UK to for the UK market. But we've had a really turbulent two and a half months of trying to get hold of materials that are, most of them are doubled in price for the role of fil for printing filament and trying to maintain our prices because the one thing that we didn't want to do was to increase any of our prices because our prices are set with a lot of consideration because we were not out there to be driving around in fancy cars or to go on fancy holidays all we want to do is to feed our family and that's one of the the main ethos of our printing business is we want to make it too affordable for all the gaming world is is one that is an affordable one for everybody and it's such a wonderful community to be a part of and we don't want to take advantage of that community we want we want to be blended in with that community and hopefully they understand that we're not there to take advantage of them we're there to be alongside them and to offer them a product they want at a reasonable price what's good quality i think it's incredible what what you guys have done so far and of course the future will go, going to be very interesting for you um one of the things that i take out talking to you is the way that you talk about the government support in a period of time that is so much easier to point out what uh, they have done wrong you actually point out what they've done right and, and the support that they gave you uh, um, is, is, is quite quite interesting it's nice to, to see this from a different uh, uh, point um, how did you decide what to, to print when you start your business you already mentioned the name of your company and some of the, the the industry that you want to focus on but how did you decide to do that 
the focus on the company was a natural progression. My partner has been a great lover of board games since he was a child. He's played them since he was well, since he was six, seven years old. And him and his dad and his best friend would play board games religiously. It's one of the things that's the foundations of who they are as they've grown up. And when we first moved in together, I remember Jason saying, can we have a start a board game night on a Monday night? And I thought, yeah, that's fine. Um, his friends, two friends come over, his best friend and his dad, my father-in-law. And it's been going for seven years. And, our, and through that, I've naturally been brought into the gaming world and really enjoyed it and loved the different variety. It's opened up a whole new world. It, it, you know, it's I'd grown up a lot with it being a case of playing Monopoly and other games that game the game of life and lots of very mainstream popular games and I wasn't aware that there was another world of, of board games out there that wasn't focused on the games that were predominantly produced by the mainstream 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 retailers and when Jason has said about 3D printing and that he wanted it to build to make things for board games it, it excited me because I could see the need for it and it's because some of the games out there are absolutely brilliant, but with just a little bit of extra detail, they make them go from a brilliant game to an absolutely phenomenal gaming experience, or just enhance the playability of a game, or make it a bit more functional. And it's a happy, harmonious situation between some of the board game retailers because they're producing a game that's affordable to the market, and we're helping to bridge the gap of any areas where they might the players might say, oh, this is a good game, but to make it a great game, they want me to pick it, to keep it. I just want this little extra thing. And that's where we come in to sell, or we can provide you that extra thing. So the, the board game retailers are happy because they can produce the games at the lower cost, and we can help by enhancing the board game experience so those games are still purchased. And the one thing that we love about, well, I personally love about the board games, is there's one particular piece called a meeple, which for anybody in the non-gaming community, it stands for my people. And it purely is a small wooden person in a very generic term. And that love for that one particular gaming piece is where our name came from, Geeky Meeples, because we just thought, you know, we're just that's the kind of people that we are. And we love that gaming piece. And that piece became part of our logo as well, because it's throughout the whole time of us playing games together. That has been the core thing that's always made me smile. And it's always been the one thing that my partner will say. If you'd like to play this game, um, it has meeples in, and if it doesn't have to describe what the rest of the game is like, I'll go, okay, that's fine, yeah, I'll play. <laughs> it's, um, it's, a, it's a really interesting name, and using the, the word geeky uh, on, on, on the name of your company is also uh, very interesting. Um, did you have any interesting uh, and unique orders so far? We get asked for a range of different things, and I think what I might find interesting um, from a gaming perspective, I'm not sure everybody else would find particularly interesting. But we do. One of the things that I will say is that I absolutely love anybody that requests anything in a colour changing PLA. So we there's various amounts of filaments out there, but the one thing that I that I'm, I'm guilty for is falling in love with the the glittery, sparkly ones and the ones that change colour and the glow in the dark ones. The ones that are a little bit more expensive but offer a little bit of a unique experience when you're printing. And we get a lot of big, big printing requests. And when you're using the colour change of filaments, it's always in you never every design that you print's always different, and it's always exciting to see how that's going to turn out. Um, we do get requests for things other than gaming. 
pieces and it could be anything so recently i was asked to design a holder for a um, a tile sensor which is like a tracking sensor that you can buy and they wanted it to go within a holder so that it could go around the collar of a cat and a dog so that they could use those t they multifunction those tiles for something else so that was quite an interesting one to do because it's nothing that i'd expected to to print and then i spend a lot of time I always describe it as like going around my house as though it's a trip to Ikea and as you walk around Ikea you might not need anything but you're trying to find a use for the things that you can find inside so I walk around the house and look at something and go oh could I 3D print a solution for that so for example we've got in our kitchen area we've got a very novelty pair of looking um, curtain hooks that are the, the hold that what holds the curtain hook and um, broke and then we've currently got two dragons which <laughs> which will get replaced but in the middle of the pandemic we couldn't get hold of anything to repair our curtain pole with so we decided to 3d print something and that was available and i'd always said at a later date i'll 3d print something that's a bit more fitting to the kitchen but at the time there was a file available already for for these this particular print so yeah at the, at the moment we've got an interesting curtain holder in the kitchen <laughs> i think i think this that's something common to most of the people that that, that uh... Uh, look at the world that way because I, since we start co this conversation I've been thinking how many things I can 3D print for my allotment there's my new passion but we don't going to talk about that uh, you already mentioned some of the materials or the PLA as one of the materials that you use for 3D printing do you use or are you looking to use uh, different materials and you know why PLA first at the moment we're still trying to decide whether or not we want to go down the route of using different materials the printers that we bought do have the capabilities of printing in abs and tpu which all have their own unique properties at the moment we're printing pla for a couple of reasons one because of its ease of print and its affordability with as mentioned previously we want to make sure that we're providing a very entry-level price and that our goods are affordable to everybody. Also, because out of the most out of the rest, PLA is more biodegradable than the rest, and that's something that's important to me with regards to three D printing. Because particularly, particularly in the gaming community at the moment, but in a lot of discussions with any community when it comes to the use of plastic, there's always a bit of a negative vision about it and how that we should be moving away from plastics and we should be moving more green materials. So. Our printer was bought as well with the intention of being a lower powered one so it doesn't use as much energy as other 3D printers and we use the PLA because it's more biodegradable and we try wherever possible to recycle materials in our packaging and use biodegradable no uh, packing noodles if we get boxes if we get delivery boxes we try to repurpose those so nothing goes to waste and the what one of the main reasons for me, the, my way of thinking, is because my mum has her own successful recycling business and I've grown up around recycling. And I wouldn't say that I go out into the world with everything that I do with a focus on recycling, but I've always had a very large awareness of it and an understanding of what can be recycled and what can't. And I've grown up with my mum recycling plastics and woods and metals and it's something that's... I've, I've known about and I've always wanted to even though I've not wanted to carry on the business um my mum's business I have wanted to maintain that ethos that she's instilled in me in my entire life so that's one of the reasons why we've we've kept with PLA and has 
the business grows, we may look at other materials. Some of them are quite toxic as well. And because we work in our kitchen area, PLA is one of the safest ones to use. The market that we're in does have a high demand for resin products, but we can't justify having a resin printer in our kitchen. It's just the it's the, the toxicity of it and the maintenance of it at the moment isn't feasible. And it's something that we, we, we're interested in, but only if we can find a way to make it sustainable and safe for us to use it. But at the moment, we just can't find a way to do that. So the plan at the moment is to try and concentrate on PLA and then look at the other printer materials and see if we can, if anything else comes about that's a bit more biodegradable, a bit more environmentally friendly to use in the future. I think is um, a great, great way to go. And we had uh, interesting, our first uh, podcast was about PLA. Uh, um, and of course, our technical team also focus on, on a green production and green materials. Um, it's interesting your approach on, 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 on green and also on recycle. Uh, um, I think it's so important nowadays. And thank you for for talking about that. Of course, we will have a chat after after this conversation about some materials. Uh, uh, we do look at, at the green options for, for plastics uh, at Goodfellow too. So we can we can always help uh, with that if you ever need uh, um, more information about that. And you mentioned the place where you use, where, where you 3D print and the impact that can have on the environment around you, uh, even in, just inside of your house is important. So I think it's, it's a good way to to, to look into in, into that. So the 3D world, of course, is growing quite quickly in the last few years. Uh, um, do you think there's still space for, for startups in this industry? Oh, absolutely. And I'd encourage anybody that has a passion for it or has is excited, just gets excited at the thought of the prospect of, of 3D printing to go and have out there and have a look. We print a handful of products that we've designed ourselves and our printers run 24 hours a day and the, you can print anything and the the concept of 3d printing when i try and tell a lot of people that ask me what i do without actually ever seeing a video it, it completely blows their mind they can't really understand the fact that i can print an object and when you think about it, you can print anything that you can design it's it's it still absolutely amazes me and you know i've i've been one that's always followed technology and I've been lucky that my parents have always encouraged um, using technology and my parents business has always had the, the best in technology they could get for what they needed and my dad's always been very tech savvy so I've been lucky that I've grown up around it and always had an interest in it but I, I really do encourage anybody out there if you want to if you can think of something that you can print and you think that you can market then go and do it it's I can't go into a straightforward process where you've got boxes of prints that haven't been successful and you will get days where the printers decide that they won't do it what they want to do and we've had to get used to climate changes because we've got certain products I have to print at night because it's too hot in a kitchen to print during the daytime and no matter what I do it's they have to be printed when it's colder in an evening but I, there's definitely space out there and there's a lot of crossovers for different industries at the moment with 3D printing and there's the availability to partner with other p people out there that are doing all the creative product products but yeah I do encourage people to go and do it and there's so much room out there to do it and if you're producing something well and you're doing it with integrity and you're doing it for the right reasons then there's no reason why it won't work. Thank you for that great message. Um, 
one of the intentions of this podcast, of course, is to inspire uh, uh, new generations. And do you think uh, 3D printing is something that the new generation is going to take to a different level? Oh, I absolutely hope so. I It's something that I'm trying to get my children involved in. Um, I've got them, there's an online CAD program that you can use called Tinkercad. And it is a a completely CAD-based design programme and it's aimed at introducing children into CAD design and you can go on there and you can create a product, it's all completely free and you can change that product and it'll tell you how to build it in Lego or it'll tell you how to build it in Minecraft and it's absolutely fantastic, the kids love to use it and to go out and to see them designing something that they can then print and use. And I have a few friends that are primary school teachers and one when I first set up Geeky Meeples, one of my keen aspirations was to help with my, it's particularly in Doncaster where Geeky Meeples is based, we have a really high um, interest in engineering and there's a lot of discussion within the primary schools regarding STEM. And it's something that I feel very passionately about. I think the younger generations are feeling passionate about and just the buzz of we've got a new um techn- a new engineering college that um launched last year and everybody in in the area is, was so excited and my like my friend who's the primary school teacher said gosh I just wish that I had something that I could offer the children to get to start bridging that gap because they, they're excited about the engineering college and what I could start earlier on to to get them there and to understand and that's when I said well one of the things I want to do is to help with children understanding engineering and I've even offered when the pandemic's over well not when it's over but when things are settled and it's safe to do so to come in and and give a lesson to the children of how to use one of the computer-aided design programs and to 3d print their products for inspiration to say that you are capable of creating amazing things just by having an idea and I think for the younger generation it's so important that in the day and age that we live where social media can warp their sense of what they need to achieve i'm very passionate about helping them understand that what you what you put into something you can get out a great return for and i think something like 3d printing you get that immediate satisfaction of designing something and seeing it come to life and for a child it's just our children absolutely love it and they're mesmerized by it and if i can just inspire a few more that generation who knows what the world can bring (laughs) I think is is a great great message here. Um, I would say that it's not not only children because I go around the world uh, before the pandemic and I go to lots of different events and exhibitions. Every time that there's a machine doing 3D printing, I stop there and I watch that for for as much time as I can. So I think is everybody kind of get so so impressed with with the, with that effect of the 3D printing. See something come out of a, a drawing and become something real on 3d is quite uh, it's quite interesting um okay what does the future holds for uh, geeky meeples at the moment the future's looking amazing um we're still deciding which direction we want to go in with regards to development of the business we are hoping to build by more princess to improve capacity and the overall aspiration is that we provide something that myself and my partner and my father-in-law can can live um, a, com- a comfortable life. My father-in-law can retire and, and come and help us. And we want it to be something that that's a go-to a go-to company for what we do, which is gaming up 
upgrades, but also some we don't want to take over the world, we just want to live happily in it. And the one thing that we're really excited about is just developing more products and my personal dream is to have my own website which I'm hoping isn't too far away and if I'm perfectly honest we, we would be there now but it's just purely because we can't facilitate any more orders than we've been receiving and I know that it's making me sound like like we're receiving hundreds of orders that's that's not the case at all 3d printing takes a lot of time and the orders that we receive you know it's one one item for example like a bowl might take towers to print so we are printing constantly and we're gaining revenue from it but if we just doubled the amount of printers that we had then it means that one of my family members could step back from the business that they're doing and, and concentrate on this and just um, our goal is to make something that means we can spend that time time with our family that we've over the years we've got so caught up in in working and and being away from home whilst we're working that this past year has made us realize that do you know what we can we can be spend more time with our family and it doesn't have to mean that we're out there commuting in my last job i used to commute for three to six hours a day depending on the traffic so i used to travel from doncaster to liverpool and back and i spent a lot of my time on the road and i just got to a point where i thought as much as i enjoy my job i just want to spend that time with my family and that's what we want to do and but also we know that if the gaming community didn't move forward didn't want to carry on buying 3d upgrades then there's a whole world out there for us to dive into so it's, it's exciting and we'll see where the next 12 months takes us we wish you all all the luck on that one of course we're going to leave uh, your links for your social media on, on the end of this podcast thank you. and uh, thank you so much for your time today thank you Next week, we will look at Silver. Aphrodite join us to look at technical uses for Silver and Silver spotting targets. We are also joined by Nikki Lawrence and Joe Lally, two transition group artists who use Silver to create beautiful pieces of jewellery. Follow us on Instagram page for more information on upcoming episodes. I go live with guests to cover any questions you may have missed on the podcast. We also welcome questions from listeners, and the best way to put those questions to us is via Instagram, materials underscore inside. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can access all the information on the website www.materialshub.com. The images and any case studies mentioned can also be found at www.goodfellow.com slash news slash case hyphen studies. This podcast is also available on alternative podcast directories, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podchaser, Deezer, TuneIn, Overcast, and many more. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast and invite you to help us in supporting Outside In, the charity which aims to make the art world a fair place for everyone. Donations, no matter how big or small, make a huge difference to artists who have struggled to make themselves heard. We welcome you to join us in supporting Outside In. For all the information, visit the website materialshub.com forward slash podcast.